morning we share in the familiar story of the prodigal son. It's that story of the son who exercises his freedom to such an extent that he ends up deciding that being one of his father's servants is better than staying out on his own. It's a powerful story. It's a familiar story. I wonder if in ways it's our story. It's definitely a cautionary story. There's so many different angles that you can use to look at this passage. There's the son's haste, the father's forgiveness, the brother's jealousy. We're upset by a son who squanders all that he was given. But we should also struggle with an older brother who is quite jealous. And we definitely are happy to embrace the forgiveness of a father who metaphorically and allegorically provides a corollary to the ways that God forgives us. Ultimately, though, I fear that when I look at the story too often, we are quick to receive the father's forgiveness and then seduced by that posture of the older brother. We don't even realize it. We'll consider some of that in a bit, but first let's turn to this story. A story that, like I said, I think really is our story. As we consider the experiences and feelings of a father and his two sons from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. We'll read the first three verses and then verses 11 through 32. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. He said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have enough bread to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to him and he put his arms around him and he kissed him. And then the father said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves quickly, Bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the eldest son was in the field. And when he came and he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called out one of the slaves and asked, what is going on? The slave replied, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. And then he became angry and refused to go in. The father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your commands. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came back, who, was, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter Gomes is a preacher who preached at Harvard University's chapel for many years. He's one of those preachers that preachers read and listen to, which is why you may not know his name. But in 1994, he preached a sermon to an incoming class of freshmen at Harvard. His sermon text for that day was the familiar words of Joshua 24:15, a verse you might not recognize by the citation, but when I say, Choose for yourself this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, you recognize it. His sermon was titled, Freedom and Choices and Commitment. And though the prodigal son in Luke 15 is a long way in pages from Joshua 24, The reality is the son who had been given his inheritance by his father had the freedom to choose. Just like the people of Israel who had been rescued, led by Joshua, and entered into the promised land, they were now free to choose whether they would serve the God who had delivered them or if they would do their own thing once again. In the sermon to the incoming freshmen, He acknowledges the freedom that these new freshmen would have. And he warned them that freedom was about choice, and choices always lead to commitments. And just like the prodigal son who gained gained his freedom with the disbursement of his inheritance, in the same way the people of Israel had received an inheritance and were gaining freedom, Freedom from being on the run. These college students were on the cusp of experiencing a freedom that they had not yet experienced. A freedom that would give them choices. And choices that would, well, commit them to things. Because freedom always leads to choices and commitments. And for the prodigal son, once he goes off and begins to exercise his freedom, he makes choices. Just as God gives all of us the opportunity to go off on our own, even after we've been saved. That's what he does to his father. And that's what the father does for him. 
He lets his child go. He lets him find a newfound radical freedom, and what he finds is that that freedom is not always all it's cracked up to be. Because, you know, the friends he found while he was footing the bill, and the the fun he found outside with that crowd living it up, and, well, once the financial well ran dry, those coattail riders found a new set of coattails to ride. Their loyalty and devotion and care and support of this prodigal son, it was gone because they weren't devoted to him, they were devoted to his inheritance. And so they were on to the next sugar daddy. And the prodigal son found that his free pursuit of happiness and pleasure and satisfaction and sensation ended up enslaving him to a man in a foreign country who didn't care to provide for his slaves. The prodigal son was enslaved by squandered resources. And in socioeconomic terms, he did deserve to wallow in the misery of his bad decisions for a long, long time until he could pick himself up. Now the flip side of this misused freedom is this older brother, who has actually enslaved himself also, though in a different way. The older brother has enslaved himself through bitterness, envy, and jealousy. He stays home. Yes, he remains faithful, but he finds no freedom in that which he does. He doesn't embrace what he has, and so he seeks retribution for his brother and his brother's bad decisions. Reconciliation is the last thing on the older brother's mind, isn't it? Because if you misuse your freedom, you're going to lose it, he says. And I think this is a word of warning to us. I think far too often we find it seductive to become this character, falling short of embodying the spirit of forgiveness that the Father embodies. You see, the big brother appears to be everything a father would want. He's loyal. He's industrious. He's capable. The big brother, in contrast to the son who makes the quick cash grab, this big brother nurtures the family. He's out in the field while everybody else is partying. He grows the business. Contributes to the livelihood of everybody who's involved in that farm operation. He stays home, he stays loyal, he's supportive and diligent, making sure everything needs to happen. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, for the most part, that's how we see ourselves, isn't it? I mean, it's not wrong to see yourself that way, as loyal, supportive, diligent, doing everything you can to make everything happen for those around you. When we listen to the broader culture out there, this is an ethic that is valued. The problem is, though, becomes when we're tempted to use our industriousness, our loyalty, to undermine others. The problem comes when we use our freedom that we gain from our loyalty to sow discord and resentment 
instead of reconciliation. The father uses his freedom for reconciliation. The older brother doesn't. When I look around the world today, I see a culture that is proud of loyalty and devotion. Everyone just just sees what they do and they look then for payback for what they've done, for their contributions that they've made, for the diligence they've put forth. I think our our lives are full of well-meaning individuals who are more than happy to speak up when they've done good, but eager to point out when someone else falls short. And if you don't believe me, let's take a moment and consider politics. A realm where you're praised for talking about the good you've done and rewarded for accusing others of the bad that they've done. I don't want to dwell on politics, and if you sense that I'm taking partisan sides, please forgive me. I'm trying not to, because oftentimes both sides are wrong. But, but when one side is blaming another, is it not any different than the older brother blaming the son who says, but you're throwing a party? Once I says, what about her? Or do you remember what he did? An older brother is mad about taxing or spending. The loyal son complains about Medicare or entitlement growths. Or, or someone is upset about checks that are written or not written. And it all sounds like an older brother saying that's not fair. And every time I hear someone complain about someone's emails, I don't know how to use email anymore. It seems like an older brother's complaining. And everyone in a political arena is happy to say, but what about that time? What about that one? What about the fact that the little brother spent his whole inheritance? What about the fact that he took wealth and squandered it? What about the fact that he wasted what he was entitled to? Maybe he shouldn't have been entitled to anything at all. And maybe this wouldn't be a big deal if we weren't so close to it. And maybe it feels like the preacher is stepping on your political toes, implying that your political partisan preferences are not right. But if that's the case, maybe you're too close to the third rail. Maybe it's uncomfortable to to hear that we all too easily embody that spirit of that's not fair or what about-ness when it comes to someone who who we think doesn't agree with us. And maybe in the halls of the legislature, or any legislature, it's okay to say, but what about? But, But we're not in that hall right now. We're in God's sanctuary. We're Christian people who read a story that tells us That we're to push not for resistance, but for reconciliation. We're called not to retribution or to use our freedom and loyalty to God in faith to resist another person and their needs. So maybe what we say is that's not fair politically. But if we just rest in that, we're not reshaping the world and the image with which God has given the world to us. Because yes, the younger brother makes the biggest mistake. 
by squandering his inheritance. But this parable is a metaphor. And it tells us we must not squander our wealth like him. And we must not fritter things away and fritter the love of God away out of a desire to hold on to something. And thanks be to God that it's not just the prodigal son who gets forgiven. It's obvious to all of us that the father in the parable is our heavenly father, right? We stray, we fail, we run away and make mistakes and and, and blow through epic levels of resources with no conscience only to reach the end of our rope at times. And then it's at that point, it's at that point, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. It's at that point when we're at our end that God forgives, offers grace, and doesn't resist. God gives to us when we would deserve punishment, payment, and a life of enslavement for bad decisions. And instead, God provides a complete reconciliation, a clean slate. And you know, we don't know what the older brother decides to do. Jesus doesn't finish every uh, parable with an epilogue, though it would sure be nice, wouldn't it? The Father says, all that I have is yours. You are beloved and free, and I'm thankful because you were never lost. You are always with me. Don't let that drive you to jealousy. Don't let that drive you to worrying about how someone else is handled. You're offered a way out of the envy. I hope he took it. We know the younger son took it. It, The headline of the parable, the buried headline is, is that, that he was unfaithful, he was sinful, he was wasteful. Yet he's welcomed back to the family fully. He finds that through the mistakes that were made, there's still some hope. There's something beyond the narrow view that that which is punishable or probable is possible. And all that which is possible is not dependent on us, but it's dependent on God and God's love. And it's dependent on the receptions we receive when we make those long walks home. There's a line from the band Mumford and Sons in a song about forgiveness, and it's this. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart but the welcome I receive with every start. I think it's important. It's important that it wasn't walking home that got the young son forgiven. It was the welcome the father gave. The reconciliation, the forgiveness, the possibilities that come from the parable don't come from a walk of shame. They come from forgiveness at the end. They come from letting go of jealousy and envy and bitterness. And the power in this passage comes in the welcome of a fresh start. The joy comes when the son who was lost is 
found. And the love happens not when the father lets him become a slave to his own bad choices, but when the father embraces that he was always his son. And though this son may have deserved a life of retribution for his indiscretions, a life of reconciliation and forgiveness and keeping no record of wrong and and ceasing to levy judgments, is the kind of life that God lives. And it's the kind of life God invites us to live. Because it's the kind of life that is rooted in the love that provides the hope that we and our world actually really deeply need. As I've considered the world we are in today, I see that more and more the parable of the prodigal son is a parable for us and for our time. We're always given the choice to decide whether we will forgive someone who we may not think needs forgiveness or if we'll resist someone who did not do things the way that we did or if we will find pathways to grace like the Father finds in this passage. Today and in the days ahead, you and I are going to be presented with opportunities and and situations and, and choices when we can provide reconciliation or we can perpetuate resistance. I suspect you and I will be given chances to offer offer hope and grace to someone. Or we could continue to levy judgment. It wouldn't surprise me if before the week is over, you and I will need to decide if we will become if we will welcome someone home who's gone astray in some way. Or if we will continue to perpetuate a cycle of what about them? Of that's not fair. Don't you remember the mistake they made? I don't know how these situations will come to you. I hope we're not distracted by a conversation about politics because you and I won't have the opportunity to do any legislation. But we're going to see people this week. We're going to live with one another this week. And we're going to have the chance to offer grace and forgiveness as human beings. And so I don't know how the situations will come. Maybe it's through how you see someone or how you will listen to someone you don't know. Or, or, or maybe it's through something you see in the world. But I suspect this, this week you'll have a chance to embody love towards someone who's different than you. And you'll get that choice. And in the midst of that freedom that you have, you will get to choose whether you resist or whether you help reconcile. The choice will be yours. But remember, God offers you and me forgiveness. God will let those who make mistakes learn from their mistakes. God will invite us continually to treat those different from us with respect and love so that we can learn to see like God sees. And finally, we're asked to remember that we all need to be welcomed home, don't we? We all need to be welcomed home because it's not the walk home, it's the welcome home that changes our hearts. 
And we all need to remember that because this is one of Jesus' parables to those Pharisees, that it's quite possible that the way we treat those who we find it hardest to lend grace to and forgive, it's quite possible that's the same way God will in turn treat us. So I pray we are a people who seek reconciliation and put away resistance. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for forgiveness. Because this passage reminds us that you are our Father who forgives us with love and grace and abundance. Because we have gone off on our own and needed forgiveness. We have squandered resources and needed help. We have at times said, if I could just get back to being a servant of my father's, it would be better than where I'm at now. Yet, Lord, in your love, you forgave us abundantly. And so, Lord, help us to see and embody that forgiveness. Lord, we know that there's an older brother out there. We know we've been that at times, too, where we claim things weren't fair. When we worried about, what about how something else happened? Lord, help us to remember that he is forgiven as well. All he had to do was ask for it. And help us to be as abundant in mercy as you are with us. Lord, help us to seek reconciliation and not retribution. Help us to seek reconciliation and not resist. For that is your work in the world. And that is what your love does for us. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Help us to experience it, embody it, and express it in this day and in the days ahead. It's in your name we pray. Amen.